Do you know how much emotion plays into the decisions that people make on their financial buying journey, whether it's a car, home, checking account, credit card? And how might you be able to apply emotive insights to level up loans and deposits at your bank, credit union, or fintech? Well, let's find out together on today's episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Greetings and hello, I'm James Robert Lay, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and joining me for today's conversation is Grant Gooding. Grant is the founder and CEO of Proof, a market research company that specializes in measuring emotions to ensure you're saying the right things to the right people. And today, we're going to talk through how you can ensure that you say the right things to the right people that you level up loans and deposits at your bank, at your credit union, or at your fintech. Welcome to the show, Grant. It is great to share time with you today. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Before we get into talking about um, emotional research and how financial brands can say the right things to the right people at the right time, what is good in your world right now, personally or professionally? It is your pick to get started on a positive note. Uh. Well, it, the holidays are always fun. I, I got a star. I got a star on my shirt yesterday from my four-year-old. She, she's our youngest, and she wanted to come with, to work. And uh, I said, uh, she, she goes, "What do you do, Dad?" And I said, "Well, go get your Christmas counting book and uh, get a piece of paper." So she wrote, she wrote down like you know some numbers. So I said, "Write down some numbers." She wrote them down, and then and she said, "I did it." And then she, I said, "Okay, well, come over and tell me what they what they mean." She said, Daddy, I don't know what they mean. And I said, well, that's what dad does uh, all day at work. So you're going to fit in perfectly. Uh, <laughs> and she gave me a star. So I got to, uh, for doing hard work, so I got to carry a star around on my shirt all day. It was great. Oh, uh, you know, you, anytime we can learn from our kids, uh, I think it's a great experience. In, in fact, the second book I'm writing, Banking on Change, uh, I have the dedication. It's to four of our kids, our four kids. And it's, you know, sometimes you're the teacher, other times you're the student. Um, yeah. There's always a great lesson to be learned through either experience. And my kids have, I've learned so much from them just as much as they probably have learned, uh, hopefully a lot from me. And and I think that's the, the essence of, of today's conversation. It, it's learning and uh, you're an emotional market research practitioner, um, a neuroscience nerd. Uh, how is it possible to measure the emotions of, of people um, so that financial brands can say the right things at the right time? So it's, uh, uh, I'll tell you a short answer is you can't, um, but I'll tell you how we get close. Uh, I, I didn't plan to be any of those things. It's hilarious that, that, that I'm described in, in such a way, uh, but I didn't intend to do this. It wasn't my life's ambition. Uh, it was an accident. Uh, I was a mergers and acquisitions analyst and I had to consume research, right? So we've all seen it and it's a stack of papers and you typically what you do is you go, how the hell am I supposed to turn this into money? Right. And, and that's, uh, I was in the same boat, right? I got to take two entities and bring them together and, um, if I don't know one very important thing, it's very challenging to do that. And that one very important thing is, why are they buying from you? 
Yeah. Right. If I can, if I know why someone's buying from entity A and why somebody's buying from entity B, I can, uh, you know, I can, I can put those two organizations together in a fairly responsible way in an integration plan. If I don't know, then, you know, which departments do you keep? Which people do you keep? Uh, it, it's uh, understanding why people are buying from you is the best filter to do all of those things. But it was something that we never knew, right? We, we can tell you the number of, customers and what they purchased and how many SKUs and how often and all of that big data information. But um, there really wasn't a lot of thick data, right? I know that uh, that's uh, a lot of what uh, you all do as well. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that really thick data to tell us the, the kind of nuance? Well, human buy, human beings buy nuance. And so we knew we needed to figure that out. So we, uh, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the, the, there's a couple of, a, a small series of ahas that, that kind of got us there. Um, the, the first thing we did was actually analyze research, uh, which is a very nerdy thing to do. And we looked at weighted means analysis and all of the stuff that you do in research and market research, right? Surveying and, and do you know why almost every, every market research methodology in existence, do you know why they exist? Why is that? To make things easier on the analyst. There you go. That's, I'm like, how is that acceptable? That, that why? Why don't we, like, who cares? They're the least significant person in the entire equation. Like, why don't we have research that actually mimics how the brain works? The only people that were doing that were, were, were folks at the, like, academia level. Mm -hmm. right? And they're people up to machines and things that are completely unreasonable in the business market. So we started um, doing more research on, okay, well, how does the brain work, right? How could we, you know... Uh, like, for instance, uh, the brain works in tens, um, like numerically. Why? Because we're taught that from the age of two. Uh, by the way, uh, I, I read this very interesting study that, that um, suggested that the reason that the United States is behind almost all Asian countries is, uh, is because of the teens. Uh. Do you know how they count in Asia? Like they count like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten, one, ten, two, ten, three, ten, four, four, ten, which makes sense because it's 21, 22, 23. Right. But we invented, we invented 11 and 12 and 13. Like, why the hell do these numbers exist? Doesn't make any sense. And it takes a long time for the kids to figure that out. Yes. And you notice, like, I've spoken well, It's pattern matching. Right. And, and we interrupt the pattern. Yeah. And they say it's six months to a year that we lose huh. in the ability to, uh, to process math because of the teens. It's like, that's so bizarre. Anyway, so we start researching weird stuff like that, trying to figure out how does the brain learn? How can we study things? And we ran across this really cool um, uh, book called Descartes Air. And it's written by a guy named Antonio Damasio, who is now extremely famous for figuring this out. But what he figured out was that the emotive brain, the limbic system of the brain, which is our dumb, dumb brain, is basically responsible for all of our decision-making. Then the, the, the frontal lobe up here, the neocortex and the part of our brain that's responsible for like complex decision-making really doesn't, really doesn't play as, as big of a role as people think um, in regard to the decisions we make. And if you look at our species, it makes a hell of a lot of sense, right? We're not the most, like we're a pretty irrational species. Right. We drink too much. We eat too much. We do all the things we're not supposed to do. We, we don't we don't follow logic and reason when we make decisions. Not at all. But we trick ourselves into thinking that it's part. Of, oh, no, we really thought about it. 
Yeah. But but the reality is we completely ignore logic and reason in ev- almost every decision that we make. I'm glad you brought the limbic brain up versus the higher order neocortex decision making. And then we also you know have to keep in mind the quote unquote the the reptilian brain, if you will, that, that the most basic function. When you think about the limbic and feelings and emotions versus say the higher order neocortex for decision making people make decisions based upon emotions and then maybe they'll rationalize and try to justify to a degree but it's still it's emotive driven now flip that around though and think about financial brand leaders very analytical logic based where might that create a bit of friction and gap when it comes to I'm a bank leader, I'm a credit union leader, this is how I view the world, but I would say you're still probably making decisions more emotively, but maybe just different than someone else. What's your take on that, that perhaps maybe a, a perception gap of, of the world? Yeah, so most banks and uh really a lot of um, engineering based types of businesses. It's, it's, and they're only similar because the people that are in those uh, industries are typically deductive reasoners. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start with details when they solve problems and think about the world. And they're doing what most financial institutions that we've worked with and we see and uh, is that they sell to the frontal lobe. That's what we call it which is the absolute last thing you want to do. Yep. Um, that's the thinking brain. Well, you know, if you're trying to sell somebody something and they say, well, I, I, I need to think about it. What does that mean? That means you just lost the sale, right? Like there's, you're not going to win that sale. And, and, and the reason is because uh, that's that part of the brain's job is to think and process information. You don't want people to do that. You want people, you want to react with their belief system and you want to react with their basic emotions and their memories and go, I'm in. Now that we know that people are going to ignore all of the thinking that was done anyway, it's a complete waste of time and money. So any brand, uh, especially financial brand that is using logic and reason in order to sell something, i.e. an APR or some type of mathematical isn't, I mean, you might as well not do anything, right? And take that money and just keep it at your bottom line because the, the best case scenario you're getting out of that is A, awareness, and maybe B, you're getting a nomadic customer that's only there because of the APR and will switch the moment someone has a better one. Hot money, anyway. hot money. It's going to come in and it's going to come right, particularly in the environment that we're at right now with deposits and you know, with the Fed holding the rate now, we're going to see things go the other way on the savings side. And I, I think, you know, on, on the homepage of your website, you, you say opportunity doesn't knock. You have to go find it. Um, what do you mean by that? Why is it important to go find it? Because I think back to your point here, if we're all we're positioning around is great rates and amazing service and all of these commoditized look like laundry list of product features. We're just the same as everyone else. Opportunity doesn't knock. You have to go find it. What does it mean here? Well, um, one of the things that that we have found is that uh, there are ways to find opportunity. Um, But 
it takes a little bit of it takes a little bit of digging. And when when I said earlier that human beings find nuance, we, we've we found that to be true in almost every instance. We've we've worked in every industry imaginable, and it seems insulting to say to a bank, "Hey, if you can make like." Uh, if you can bake someone a cookie and give them a cookie when they walk in, that's the best thing you can do to retain a customer. And that's insulting mm. to, right? When you look at it from their perspective, they're like, are you kidding me? You know how much, how much we do and all the things that we, uh, you know, how much money and effort we put into all these things and products and systems. And you're telling me a cookie do is going to make or break my business. Do you know how much I know? Do you know how much like, like that? I, I Yeah. But the reality is that's it. And it's hard to really know that. So it you need to have someone that knows how to go dig through your population and find those nuances. Because it's not just, it can be anything, really, right? I always say the golden rule of marketing is you don't have to be better than anyone at anything. You just have to be different. Yeah. And then find some kind of a difference that creates emotional resonance. And when you do that, your world really does get easy. Your strategies get easier. Your tactics get easier. Just you got to go find them. They're not going to fall in your lap because See, if they would fall in your lap, everybody would be doing it. it, it it's interesting because I, I've run this exercise now over a thousand times with financial brand leaders, and it's it's really a an exercise in human behavior and in how we process change and decisions. And this can be applied internally for you know going through digital transformation, cultural transformation, brand transformation. But it's also the same thing applying it externally. You know, navigating or guiding someone through a buying journey. And I asked these leaders, I'm like, listen, there are four steps that people go through. They have to see things differently. When you see different, you're going to start to think about things differently. When you see different and think different, well, what's going to happen next? And the financial brand leader will say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be different. I'm going to act different. I'm going to do different. I'm like, well, are you really going to do that? I mean, how many, how much logic do you have that you know you need to do something different, but you're, you're failing to make that commitment to take the next step to actually do that thing? And they pause and they ponder and they're like, yeah, you, you're probably right. So I said, we're in agreement that to bridge the gap between thought and action, you have to have something. They said, yes. Well, what is it? I don't know. So I say, it's feeling. It's emotion. It's the desire, the feeling, the emotion to take those next steps has to be greater than the desire, the feeling, the emotion to, to maintain the status quo. How do you, how do you navigate that complexity with back to the point of the way that that financial brand leader's mind works to dig deeper into the emotive aspect of decision-making when it is outside of their normal worldview, because otherwise we end up, the future becomes the predictable past based, based upon the decisions that we're making right here in the present moment, informed by past experience. Well, we're, we're a very fear-based species. And um, we will actually tolerate a painful status quo uh, in, in, in lieu of looking at a, an alternative that might be more beneficial. Mm -hmm. And you're also talking about an industry that is full of uh, risk-averse human beings, right? Um, you don't see a lot of mavericks in the financial space, uh, especially not in your traditional brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. So you got to realize that, that I'll put up with a, I will put up a, with a painful status quo and bleed to death slowly before I will do something that feels uncomfortable. Yeah. 
and, and that's just the reality of humans, but you're also talking about people that are at this far into the bell curve when it comes to that tolerance. Sure. So luckily, they like data. <laughs> and um, if I can show them, hey, this, uh, this idea, right? So part of what we, we do is we test everything that they think is relevant. Hey, what do you think is going to move someone, right? Um, and a free checking account ain't going to cut it. That's a benchmark for... That's a benchmark for like for like commodity. Okay, so what are you going to do? Um, and we test them all the ideas they want, and we test um, uh, crazy ideas, which are never as crazy as people think. And if I can show them this actually resonates with people, you should do this and set some reasonable expectations around this is who it's most likely to work with. This is the probability of it working. And if that is enough to convince them that, hey, that I can make a calculated risk here, then we did our, we did our job. Um, but it's not, it's not easy. There are certainly, uh, there are certainly um, uh, easier populations to, to get out of status quo than, than someone that works in a financial institution, to be certain. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. What's a common misconception when we're talking about measuring people's emotions or maybe a better way to frame that measuring why people do what they do in a buying journey what's a common misconception that a financial brand leader might have that in reality is actually incorrect and can be backed by data um well, let me say that uh, the, the first thing that is a, the common uh, misconception when we come in is the word emotion. Most people, when you say emotion, you equate it to some variants of emotion like happiness or sadness or fear or elation. Uh, I, I can't uh, measure that and wouldn't claim to. And I think that anybody says that they can is full of it. Uh, so when you asked me earlier, how can you measure emotion? I say, I can't. Um, the reality is, uh, is that um, emotions are a cocktail mm. of neurotoxins and things that your brain and hormones, your brain releases. Yeah. And we give those emotions names and they do various things to our body, right? They create anxiety or, or um, you know, all, all kinds of, of, of different types of things. So the common misconception is that we need to somehow create one of these named emotions when it comes to someone in the buying experience. And that's not really true. Uh, all we really need to do is say something that aligns with either the expectation or aligns with the memory system uh, uh, and being able to hit on a belief system of a brain, of the brain. So for instance, a good, a good example in the financial services space is, um, uh, oh, I'll get it wrong. I'm terrible with acronyms. Um, uh, the the uh, military brand, A, I want to oh, say AARP. Oh. Uh, yes, I'm now. I'm thinking AAU. Um, military. Holy cow! Um, it's the one that had uh, Gronk they're, as they're, a spoke. Yeah, they're out of San Antonio. I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, uh, how, oh my gosh! I can't believe we're both blanking on it. <clears throat> See, that was toxic. That was me. Like you would have gotten it nine times, nine times, or uh, ninety-nine times out of a hundred if I wouldn't have said anything. But um. Well, I mean, they focus on military, right? Um, and this is an obvious example because they're they're such a big player in the space. But 
doesn't really have any relevance, right? Like the fact that someone has a background in, in the military or they have a family member that has a military experience, that doesn't, doesn't have any relevance on banking at all. US, like, U- USAA. USA, yeah, that's right. Because, 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 once again, you know, my mind. I just had Jill Castilla on the podcast, and she's out of uh, Oklahoma, and she just launched. Yeah, they have a community bank, but they just launched a neo bank uh, or a digital first bank called Roger. So that's where, when you said military, I'm thinking my mind just went to Roger, but no, USAA out of San Antonio. Roger, cool name, right? But all, all you're really doing is that that entire brand all it really did well first of all it's a it's a it's a um it's a demand-based bank because it's Mm non-inclusionary which human beings love so that's the first thing and the second thing is they're really just connecting to some some importance to that family and it's a thing right military families are a thing it's it is a deal that you have a connection to we have we have several um uh, team members that that have that come from military families and it's a part of their lives still, even though they never served. Yeah. So all they really did was make an emotional connection that aligns with the belief system of the brain. You don't have to make someone feel elated or whatever. You have to just speak to them in a way that is um, meaningful, has a meaningful nuance. And they don't, um, uh, uh, and banks hate this because uh, the reality is, is if you want to do this well, <clears throat> excuse me, if you want to do this well, you have to um, uh, you have to understand that it's not going to include everyone. Right. You have to be okay shrinking the size of the pie for the uh, end result of winning a greater percentage of that pie full of loyal people. And that's exactly what they've done. And any bank can do it, right? They just have to figure out what that nuance is that they want to go after. So what you're talking about is something that I've discussed multiple times on this podcast. Um I have written about it in my book, Banking on Digital Growth. The idea of a niche financial brand creates affinity. Frost Bank, um, also out of San Antonio, Texas, they have recently published research called The State of Financial Belonging. And it's the idea that so many view their relationship with their financial institution as transactional. Um, but when you think about some of these niche financial brands that are serving a niche segment, they're creating an affinity that I belong, or I can identify, associate to this group of people. Is this what you're tapping into here? Yeah. And there's a way to, uh, you know, brand theory and economic theory has shown us that this works over and over and over and over again. Um, but you can make it up. Like it can be completely irrelevant. Um, most of the times, we we carve through uh, a financial institution's existing customer base to find that nuance because there may be something there that they don't see. Sure. Uh, and if and if we find something, then we know, hey, you could just say this now, and you're you're already going to be saying the thing you may have been accidentally saying, right? Or or uh, that has been something that, is, that has come out through the experience of the people that work uh, at your bank or banks, and it'll make your life really easy. But, I mean, you can pick on just something something geographic. I mean, you said frost. I have no idea what that was. But, like, let's say that you're up in the nor- north somewhere. You're in the Dakotas or, mm-hmm. or, 
or Minnesota, and you created a bank called like Snowdrift Bank. Well, snow is a part of that culture, right? Yeah. And if and then say we just want a bank, we're just going to make a bank that is it doesn't do anything special. It just talks about snow all the time. And maybe for your giveaways, instead of giving away a toaster, you give away a snowmobile yeah. and you really own that idea. And you will get, gra- customers will gravitate towards that idea. And it's nonsensical. It has nothing to do with the frontal lobe. Your interest rates are irrelevant. And like hire people to work in there that love snow and just own that culture. And people, you'll be shocked at how easy it is to onboard customers and your customer acquisition costs are easier. You get more organic growth, like all the KPIs that you want at your bank, you can get by just understanding that nuance and owning it. You know, it even goes deeper than that. In this study with Frost Bank, they found that those who feel a sense of financial belonging are 160% more likely to have better financial health. And mm-hmm. so it, it, I think it goes deeper. It, it, it doesn't just create value for the bank or the credit union. It also creates an even deeper value for the account holder or for the member. One of the things that we started this conversation and, and almost now bringing it full circle is applying this knowledge, applying this insight, because you can have all the data in the world, but unless you, you distill it down, and turn that insight into action, it really doesn't mean anything. What, what's, a, what's a practical way that a bank, a credit union, whether they're the marketing side, the sell side, the leadership side, how can they apply the insights gained from what we've been talking about today? Well, the, um, the, the, I'll tell you, there, there's not any easy. Um, well, the answer is easy. The application is not. So here's a couple of thoughts. The first thing is that uh, one of the outputs of that study you're referring to is that it improves someone's financial, um, their financial disposition, right? Whatever that is. That is in every bank's chart, right? Like it's not like, you know, some bank is like, we don't care, right? They, They all will say that that is significant. And they'll read that study and they'll say belonging. That's good. Let's say that. So they will like verbatim use the word like, you know, financial belonging or whatever, but they don't really know what it means. Sure. Right. They're not encapsulating the idea that, well, in order to do that, you have to be a center of gravity for someone to belong to. And if you can't create that, then all the words in the world aren't going to matter, especially in banking, because it's it is absolutely like, look, we we have a very sort of unique non-macroeconomic way that we measure commoditization. Banks now specifically like deposit account banks, banking, personal banking is the most commoditized industry we have measured to date Mm. out of over 500 studies. So it is not an easy place to be successful. Um, But really the thing that they should embrace is once you figure out the thing, like what is the thing, right? Are you, are, is it restaurants? Is it, is it snow? Is it whatever the thing is that you need to grab onto and you want to be known for? You have to own it and yeah. be authentic. So you need to hire for it. You need to have events, right? Um, and the problem that banks have is that their, uh, their net <clears throat> to catch fish is so big, they can't even lift it. Mm. So it doesn't matter if you throw it in the water at all. 
Because if someone says, well, you need to really go to events and be authentic, it's like, what events? All of that, all events, you need, we want to be involved in the community, hmm. which every say, and every, every credit union as well. And they do a lot of good, but like, does it turn into revenue? Sure. Most of the time, not at all. So you need to, if once you find your thing, your life gets really easy, right? If it's, if it's restaurants, well, what events do you go to? Well, now, you know, right. Um, and when you go in, you're going to bank the restaurant and your, your, your goal is to bank all of the employees as well. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, the types of education that you want to put out as a financial institution are really obvious. You know that they're working on tips and here are the three things you need to know to build financial, um, you know, strength based on the way that you are compensated. Yeah. But you can't do that and go and sell to engineers, right? It's two completely different worlds. So that's the, that's the problem with execution is the banks, most financial institutions are unwilling to figure out who they are. And then even if they do, they're unwilling to like own it because it'll be so painful for them because it's like, oh my gosh, we're going to lose all of our engineer. Uh, and, and that's the problem is that fear of loss. And yes. that, then that as well. That's a great point. It's, it's, there's a perception that if we just focus our effort, our energy, our time, our attention, our resources on this one particular market segment, and we're saying no to everyone else, we're going to go out of business because of that. And I would actually kind of argue the exact opposite. I think you would probably thrive when you have, and it takes courage. And you know, what is courage? It's, it's, it's having wet pants and still taking a step forward. Um, knowing the, the, you know, it's, it's, it's making a decision, making a commitment to do the hard things. Um, and there are, uh, some financial brands, uh, Jill Castilla, she's one of them, um, that they have launched this niche organization. I know, uh, Nimbus who I sit on their advisory board, they're doing a lot in helping community institutions find the niches and build brands for those specific niches. So it's a work in progress. I, I definitely see we're making you know, strides in that direction at a macro level, but there's definitely a lot of work to do. As we start to wrap up here, I like to send someone who is watching or someone who is listening off with a very practical next best step that they can take on their own journey, thinking about everything that we've talked about here around uh, emotion and decision-making. What would be one small thing that they can do today right now to begin to make some forward momentum on their own journey of growth. So uh, here's a little exercise that could be fun. Write down the five things that you say to get people to pay you money, right? These could be the actual marketing messages or the things that you say when you're having an interpersonal conversation with someone. Write down the five things that you think are most significant. Now, one of those is in first place. Meaning one of those things that you say is going to have more emotional resonance than the other four, which means mathematically, four of those things are most likely losing you money Mm. relative to the thing that is most likely to work. So cross out the four things that you think are not going to be as effective as the one remaining. So which one is in first place? It's a, it's a lot harder than people think, first of all, just to come up with the five messages. And it's a lot harder to eliminate things because it'll help you second get, you're like you'll be second guessing, boy, that's a thing that might be really, you know, it's really important. 
But the reality is it probably isn't. Um, The four things that you're going to cross out are most likely the things that are important to you that no one gives a crap about. That right there. And that is your past being an anchor where the opportunity is to really continue to focus on the future, the future self. Where's the opportunity? Not from your perspective, but putting it's it's the idea of empathy, putting yourself in the hearts and minds of others and letting them guide that narrative. They'll they they're gonna tell you. And I think, you know, it's why we have two ears and one mouth. Just <laughs> I love that. We just go all in. We 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 go all in. We ask really good questions. We we be quiet and we listen to what people have to say. And then we can also reinforce that through learning with observation um, or, or really ways to take what you're sharing here, Grant, and, and continue to even level that up. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you for your perspective, for your knowledge, for your expertise to help others who are watching and listening. If they want to connect with you and perhaps continue the discussion that we've started here today, what's the best way for them to reach out and say hello to you? Um, our company's called Proof Positioning, but... If you Google my name, Grant Gooding, luckily it's a bizarre name. So um, if you Google Grant Gooding, you're going to find a lot of me and one very talented swimmer in Indiana, and I'm not him. So uh, <laughs> I'm the non-swimmer, uh, but happy to do that. Well, and looking forward to your next book. I uh, um, uh, have a few copies. We're going to send those out to, to uh, our clients that are more open-minded on the, on the financial side. So I uh, love the work you're doing. Appreciate you having me on. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you. Google Grant Gooding. He's not the swimmer. Connect with Grant. Learn with Grant. Grow with Grant. Grant, thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth Podcast. This has been a lot of fun today, buddy. I appreciate you. Thanks, man. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and be the light.